passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning. Uh, it is. It seems like it's been a long time since I've had the chance to uh, be up here and, and, and to bring God's Word before you. It is good to be back. Uh, this morning we are back in First Timothy after a week break and, and a couple other breaks in there for Easter and Palm Sunday. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been working our way through the book of First Timothy probably since the beginning of February, and we've been looking at this book and what does it mean to be a church? First Timothy is all about the church. It's all about how the church is supposed to be structured, how it's supposed to live out its identity as the bride of Christ. And this morning addresses that. But it does so in, a, in a, a bit of a unique way. In fact, this is without a doubt the most unique sermon I have ever prepared. It's probably the most unique sermon you will ever hear because the focus is not primarily on the church, but it's on the church's pastor. And so we're going to make this thing about 30 seconds long, and you guys can go ahead and go. And I'm going to stay in here. Uh, if anyone wants to become a pastor someday, you're going to have to stick after the service, and you're going to have to uh, hear, me, hear me give this sermon as well. Uh, all joking aside, this has been a very, very good passage for me to hear. It has uh, been a challenge to me. It has been refreshing to me. It's challenging because Paul sets the bar really, really high when it comes to pastors. But it's also refreshing because even though the bar is really high, the grace that God has for young pastors like me is very high as well. So I'm very thankful for this passage. It's been God's providence that we're working through 1 Timothy 4 right now, just in this season of my life. But just because this passage is primarily addressed to Timothy and to pastors doesn't mean that there is nothing for you in this passage this morning. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he wrote this specific section to Timothy, but the intention was for the entire church to hear these words read. The entire church was meant to hear these words and to read these. And so while this is meant for the pastorate, it is also meant for you. Let me give you a couple of reasons why this passage matters for you today and not just for myself. First of all, it matters because God may be calling some of you into pastoral ministry. God may be calling some of you into pastoral ministry. Jesus tells us that we are to pray that God would raise up more workers for the harvest. And that is our prayer here at Crosswinds, that some of you may feel the call into pastoral ministry, even if you never in a million years would have expected it. If that is you, this passage means a lot to you. Another reality is, as, as we've mentioned over the past few weeks, uh, Spencer is not the final landing place for every single person that's in this room. If God calls you to another community, to another city, to a different location, the words on this, in this passage matter to you because they explain what you should look for when it comes to a church. What kind of person the pastor should be as you look at different churches. So this passage matters for those of you who may be called elsewhere but as a part of God's plan. And finally, this passage matters for the rest of us because you can keep me in check. This isn't a list uh, uh, where we're going to hand out an evaluation after the service and you can say, well, Jordan's not doing very good in this spot. Yeah, he's doing okay in this spot. I, I don't really want to read those. This is, however, a way for you to know how you can encourage and challenge and help me grow in holiness even as I 
hope to encourage and challenge and help you grow in holiness. And so this passage matters today for every single person in this room. The reasons for that may be different, but it matters for each and every one of us. So what we're going to do this, this morning is we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4 verses 11 through 16. In these verses, what we're going to see is, first and foremost, Paul says very clearly what the pastor's calling is. What a pastor is supposed to be doing. A pastor, if he's a full-time vocational pastor, does more than just a Sunday morning, contrary to what some of you may believe. What is that pastor doing? What should that pastor be doing? What is the pastor's calling? That's the first thing we're going to look at. After that, we're going to see four different ways that that calling works itself out. Paul lists four different ways, four different charges for Timothy on how to live out his calling. And so we're going to spend some time looking at those this morning as well. As we gather around God's word, let's pray one more time. Father, as we study your word, I, especially this passage, I just come away humbled. I come away in awe that you would call me to such a ministry. And Lord, as we look at your word, as we look at the qualifications for a pastor, the charges that you have for a pastor, God, I pray that we would all, but me especially this morning, would rely solely on your grace. Bless this time in your word, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a Bible, I invite you to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 11. Hear these words. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. I mentioned that this passage opens with a call to pastoral ministry, what the calling of pastoral ministry is. And it's found in verse 11. Verse 11, Paul says, command and teach these things. You might be saying, okay, well, what are, what's the these things that Paul is referring to when he says command and teach these things? To answer that, we have to look at the rest of chapter 4 up to this point. Chapter 4 up to this point gives us the answer. I want us to pick up in verse 4 because I feel like that's really helpful for us as we see what the calling of a pastor is. Start in verse 4. We're going to go through verse 10. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have and that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. 
Remember the context of First Timothy. Paul is writing First Timothy to Timothy as he is a new pastor in the church of Ephesus. Apparently, Timothy, who is a younger guy, is addressing or facing some false teaching in the church. And primarily, this false teaching is rejecting the good things of God. It's rejecting things such as food, such as marriage, which are good gifts from God to humanity. And so in the first few verses of chapter 4, Paul addresses this head on. He says, listen, this is what the false teaching is saying. And then in verses 4 and 5, he gives us basically the antidote. He says, this is how you should respond to this. Rather than seeing these gifts as evil, as bad things, instead, you are supposed to enjoy these gifts. Receive them with thanksgiving. That's what verses 4 and 5 tell us. Verses 6 and 8 give us two more charges. Give Timothy two more charges. He is supposed to, while he's in Ephesus, he's supposed to do two things. First, he's supposed to combat the false teaching of these people in Ephesus by right teaching. By telling the church what the right actual truth is. In other words, he's supposed to tell people to enjoy God's good gifts. But then he lists a second charge. Verses 6 and 8, 6 through 8 also tell us that Timothy is to devote himself to spiritual growth. He is to commit himself to growing spiritually. In case we are prone to enjoy the good gifts of God too much and they turn into idols, Paul reminds Timothy that the most important thing you can do in your life is to grow in holiness, to grow in godliness. The final two verses of this, of this passage up to this point, verses 9 and 10, remind us that our goal as Christians is to set our hope on the living God. Our hope is supposed to be set on God. This is the end that we strive toward as Christians. This is why we seek to grow spiritually, because Jesus is our hope. The author of Hebrews says something very similar in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul, in 1 Timothy, is saying something very similar to that. If we have our eyes set on Jesus. If we are committed to our devotion to him, then our calling, our charge as Christians is to go to whatever lengths necessary to run the race well, to live our lives well, to do whatever we can, do whatever we need to, in order to know and to grow in God's Love. And that brings us back to verse 11, where Paul says to command and teach these things. What things is, is Paul referring to here? Well, essentially what he's saying is that Paul is, Paul is telling Timothy that his job as a pastor in Ephesus is to point people to Jesus. He is to encourage them. He is to challenge them to spiritual growth. He's not to draw attention to himself, but he's to point toward Jesus. 
Jared C. Wilson is a former pastor from the New England part of the United States. He tells this, fam- this story that, that sums up this calling of pastors to point people to Jesus so well. He was meeting with a non-Christian, and this non-Christian asked him what his vocation was. When he was asked this, he responds, well, I'm a pastor. And this man instantly gets all, you know, reserved and, and struggles around uh, Jared Wilson and, and says, oh, you're a pastor. So you're the one who has all the answers. And Jared Wilson responds just perfectly, in my opinion. He says, no, I'm the one who points to the one with all the answers. That's the calling of the pastor. To point people to Jesus. That's the the pastor's calling in its most basic form. To point people to Jesus. That's going to look different for different pastors. It'll have many different shapes and sizes based off of the differences of congregations. But if a Christian pastor is not pointing people to Jesus, if he is instead pointing people to himself, or he's telling people to look inward, or if he's just simply motivating them or entertaining them, then he's not fulfilling his calling. Because his calling is to point people to Jesus, and he will have to answer for that calling one day. A pastor's calling is to point people to Jesus. That's what verse 11 tells us. As we continue in this passage, we see four ways that that the pastor should point people to Jesus. And I hope that when you hear these, you can say, at least to some degree, that I do these as a pastor of Crosswinds Church here in Spencer. Let's look at each of these individually. The first one is this. In verse 12, the pastor should point people to Jesus through his example. The pastor should point people to Jesus through his example. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Remember the context of Timothy's age. Timothy is most likely in his mid-30s in a culture that rarely allowed anyone into a leadership position before they turned 40. He was seen by many in his church as too young to serve as their lead pastor. So how, how is he supposed to address this issue? Well, Paul tells him rather than dwelling on it, rather than getting upset about it, getting bitter, complaining about it, he's simply supposed to just set an example for everyone. Now, that's great advice for any profession, is it not? When we're, faced with tempta- or when we're faced with criticism, the temptation is just to respond either with defensiveness at best or with retaliation at worst. Every election season ever seems to prove this is the point. But God desires that instead we would set an example of godliness, that we would undermine our critics by living a life of integrity of godliness, and of authenticity. Paul gives Timothy five areas that he is called to set an example in here. The first one is speech. Your mouth can get you into a lot of trouble, especially as a young person who can sometimes confuse passion with foolishness. If you think I'm speaking from example, it is because I am. It is fascinating that words can be the most effective way for a pastor to, fill out, to fulfill their calling by pointing people to Jesus, and yet they can also be the quickest way for a pastor to disqualify himself. I was speaking with a church leader in the area uh, a few years ago, and, and he was struggling through whether they should uh, release their pastor. 
The, the thing that, that they were struggling through as a church was not his words on Sunday morning, but his words throughout the rest of the week. This was a man who wasn't swearing throughout the rest of the week, but was very combative in his language. He was very divisive in his language, and he brought a lot of strife by the words that he said. Words can be one of the quickest ways for a pastor to disqualify themselves. Paul tells us that words should not be a source of strife, but instead should be a source of life. That they are to set an example for believers even when the pastor has been wronged. Second area that Paul tells Paul or that tells Timothy to set an example in is his conduct. This word conduct really just refers to his lifestyle. That he is supposed to set an example in the way that he lives his life. He's supposed to set healthy patterns of work, of play, and of rest, even as Pastor Stephen mentioned last week. Essentially, what this passage is saying is that whenever you see a pastor in the community, you should never be surprised or ashamed by their actions. The pastor is supposed to set an example with their conduct. Third one that Paul mentions is love. The pastor is called to set the bar, so to speak, on what it looks like to love others, to love all sorts of people. He is supposed to show Christians what it means to love like Jesus in their context. How would Jesus love the outcast? The pastor should show. How would Jesus love the person who is stuck in sin? The pastor should show the congregation how through his example. The fourth thing that that Paul mentions here is faith. Faith here is not referring to salvific faith, our faith in God that saves us, but instead to our faithfulness. The pastor is supposed to be dependable, full of integrity. He honors his commitments, both before God and before others. This is the calling of the pastor. The final one is purity. This is referring to moral blamelessness. Every single area of the pastor's life, his interactions with people of the opposite sex, his thoughts, his private life, his public life, and on and on and on. All of it should be covered in blamelessness. Paul's desire for Timothy in this verse, no matter Timothy's age, is to be an example of Christian discipleship, an example of Christian faithfulness to the church. The congregation should be able to look at the pastor's life, every area of the pastor's life, and confidently assert That even though that pastor is not perfect, he models gracious speech. His life is filled with grace. He models sacrificial love. He is faithful and dependable. And he is blameless. The pastor is supposed to point people to Jesus through their example. The next charge that Paul gives to Timothy is found in verse 13. It's this, the pastor should point people to Jesus through his devotion to the scriptures. Should point people to Jesus through his devotion to the scriptures. Verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. When Crystal and I lived in Chicago, I was a full-time student at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. It's where I uh, got my, I did my grad school work. I, I did a couple odds and ends uh, for jobs to try to help pay bills, but the reality is Crystal was the one who uh, was our primary source of income. 
She worked full-time as an admissions counselor for the undergraduate school at Trinity. So I went to the grad school. Crystal went to the undergrad, or worked at the undergraduate school as an admissions counselor. And part of her job as an admissions counselor, she did a lot of traveling. She would go and meet with high school students, either in schools or at college fairs. She did a lot of traveling, and I remember the first time that Crystal was away on one of these, vis- or on one of these traveling seasons. Uh, she called me the first night that she was gone, and she said, Jordan, I need your help. Now, naturally, I'm freaking out because my wife, my new wife, is just a couple hundred miles away, and, and she's needing my help. And so I'm all concerned about what's going on, what happened to her. And so I said, Crystal, what do you need? She responds with extreme concern in her voice. She, she responds with this statement of, Jordan, I need to know how to pronounce a certain phrase in Greek. Like, what? Why don't we go ahead and throw that, that uh, logo up here? All right, so this is the logo for where I went to school, where Crystal worked, uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. That phrase right there in the middle is what Crystal wanted to know how to pronounce in Greek. Apparently, when she was meeting with all of these college students or high school students, the, the number one question that she got asked wasn't what kind of programs do you have or what kind of dorms do you have or is the food good? The number one question that she got was how do you pronounce that? Now, Crystal had been told by her boss how, what it actually means, how to translate it, but she'd never been told how to pronounce it. And so I uh, dug up a, a copy of the logo. I don't know if I had it uh, on a folder or I went on the website. It doesn't really matter. But I saw it, and as I read those words, I stared at them for really the first time in my entire life. As I stared at those, I was just overcome by this sense of emotion. I was overcome by awe of dread, of unworthiness, of gratitude, a feeling of the sense of my calling as a pastor. Those words up there, they say, Pisuthenai ta euangelion. It's from First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Those three words mean entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted with the gospel. It was in that moment, on the phone with Crystal, as I was staring at that logo, I realized the weight of responsibility that I was training for. What I would be accountable before God for. As a pastor, I would be one who was entrusted with the gospel. And even though I loved the word of God wholeheartedly up to that point, a realness washed over me because of the taste that I just got there in seminary of my responsibility when I would become a pastor. That's what Paul is referring to here in 1 Timothy. He's telling Timothy that he has been entrusted with the gospel. The most important thing that I could ever do with my life is to stay faithful to the scriptures. The best thing that I could offer you on a Sunday morning is to hold high the word of God and point you to the word of God. It's almost as if Paul is saying in this verse, Timothy, and by extension, me, Jordan, I charge you to hold fast to the gospel. You have been entrusted with the gospel. I get it that you are young, but your authority does not come from your age. It does not come from your experience or from your training or from your wisdom. It does not come from you at all. 
Your authority is rooted in the word of God. And so stay faithful to the word of God. This verse gives, gives Timothy three charges on how to stay faithful to the word of God. First, he tells him to publicly read the scriptures. Every single time the church gathers together, the, the word of God should be read before everyone. And then he, second, he says basically two things that are interchangeable. He says that Timothy is to exhort and to teach based off of that passage of scripture. Let's look at teach first because that's easier to understand. Teach. Every single time that the the church gathers together, Timothy's job is first to read a passage of Scripture and then to teach that passage of Scripture. To help people to understand what that passage of Scripture means. To tie it into the grand story of redemption. People, when they're done listening to Timothy, should walk away and say, I understand what that passage is about. But at the same time that Timothy is teaching from Scripture, he's also supposed to be exhorting from that passage of scripture. Some of your translations may say preach. They both refer to the exact same thing. See, Timothy is not doing his job if all he does is gives an academic download of of what a passage means. He's also supposed to be encouraging people, challenging people to grow in holiness from that passage by applying it to their lives. Timothy is called to Read the Bible, teach the Bible, and preach from the Bible. And if I'm just being honest with you this morning, this is one of my biggest concerns with the American church. It is relatively rare today that this actually happens, that people don't take Paul's command seriously. All too often, pastors and churches will say what they want to say, and they'll find scripture to tag onto it, to back up their thoughts. There's no serious engagement with the meaning of a text. To be blunt, people aren't preaching the scriptures. They're instead preaching their ideas, and they're citing the Bible as a reference to back up their arguments. That's why here at Crosswinds, the majority of our time, We spend going through books of the Bible. Even when we look at topics, we try to land on one passage of Scripture and go deep into what that passage actually means because we are called, I am called, as a pastor to point people to Jesus, to be devoted to the Scriptures. This may not be the only way to be devoted to the Scriptures, but I do believe firmly that it is the best way to live out Paul's words to Timothy right here. Now, if we, if we didn't do this, if Crosswinds Church in the future decided to, to not do this, if, uh, if I weren't committed to reading, preaching, and teaching Scripture, as, as Paul uh, mentions here, just going to be completely honest with you, why would you come to Crosswinds? Honestly, why would you come to Crosswinds? To hear a 28-year-old's vast reserves of knowledge and wisdom and experience and academic expertise. You've got better things to do on a Sunday morning. If we as a church ever neglect our commitment to exposition, it is time for you to find a new church. Because the word of God is what matters here at Crosswinds. The word of God is what we gather around. 
We devote ourselves to Scripture. That's why we here at Crosswinds desire to have our finger in the text. We don't want you to just hear from me. We don't want you to hear Jordan's opinions. You have better things to do on a Sunday morning than that. We come and gather around the Word of God. A pastor should point people to Jesus through his devotion to the Scriptures. The third thing that Paul mentions to Timothy is found in verse 14, and it is this. The pastor should point people to Jesus through his gifts and his calling. Take a look at verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Here, Timothy is discouraged about how things are going in Ephesus. Perhaps Timothy is even questioning his calling into ministry. Timothy is discouraged, and Paul responds by reminding Timothy of a crucial event in his past, his calling into ministry. Acts 16 is the likely passage that describes the events that Paul mentions here. I just want to read briefly to you from Acts 16. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in their numbers daily. Paul, in order to address Timothy's discouragement, tells Timothy to remember his calling into ministry. It was decades earlier. Timothy was only a teenager in Acts chapter 16. He was a recent convert in Lystra, and yet even though he was just a teen, there was something special about him. There was something that the elders in Lystra saw that they realized that this Man, this boy has potential. He has a unique gifting to serve as a pastor. And so they commissioned him, they laid their hands on him, and sent him out for pastoral ministry with Paul. Apparently, one of these elders actually had the gift of prophecy and affirmed and confirmed this gifting and calling in Timothy's life. And what Paul says to Timothy in the face of his discouragement, he says, Hey, Timothy, go back and look at your calling. Look at your gifts. This passage, this verse right here, incredible source of encouragement for me. Last six months have been pretty discouraging. They've been pretty discouraging as a pastor. It seems like every single time we have momentum to to break through what is commonly known as the 125 barrier, uh, we have several families who have left our church. And this is, this is not me, uh, criticizing them. Every single family that's left our church has done, done so for good, beautiful, healthy reasons. I understand that the kingdom of God is bigger than just Crosswinds Church here in Spencer. I understand that fully, and I'm so thankful for the ministry and the partnership that we've had with these people. Yet it is discouraging family after family after family. And like Timothy, I've wrestled through these questions over the past six months. 
I've wrestled with questions of, am I actually called into ministry? Am I the right person for this job? This discouragement can be such a, a heavy burden. As I was reading this passage this past week, two memories came to mind. First was June 30th, 2013. June 30th, 2013, Crystal and I went before the church in Spirit Lake. The elders and the leadership board members gathered around us, laid hands on us, prayed over us, and commissioned us to serve here in Spencer. When I think back to that memory, to my commissioning for ministry here, I'm reminded that my calling into ministry isn't just a feeling. It isn't just something subjective that I, my emotions stirred up in me and I could be wrong. It's something that has been affirmed by the leaders of our church. July 14th, 2013. It's the first sermon that I preached at Crosswinds Church. It was at our Spirit Lake campus. Up to that point, we were unsure whether I was going to be preaching here or whether we were going to be a video campus. We were going to just see what God had for us, what my gifts were. And I preached that Sunday, and and I remember that some of you and Pastor Kurt and others reached out to me and, and affirmed a gifting to preaching. It's one thing to think you might be gifted in that area. It's another thing to have affirmed by the church. It's a reminder to me of God's faithfulness. When I feel like I might not be the right person for the job, when I feel like I might not even be called into ministry, these two moments root me and anchor me into time. To not be blown about by discouragement in the moment. Even when discouragement lasts for months, God has gifted, God has called Timothy, God has gifted, God has called me and is my responsibility to point people to Jesus through that gifting, through that calling. And Paul gives Timothy one final charge. It's in verse 15. The pastor should point people to Jesus through his own progress. Point people to Jesus through his own progress. Take a look at verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. You know, if the, the previous verse was probably the most encouraging to me, uh, this verse is a close second. It's a reminder to me that pastors don't have to be perfect. Pastors have a great responsibility, a great calling, but they don't have to be perfect. Part of being a young pastor such as myself is to continue to improve. Notice in verse 13, excuse me, in verse 14, right before this, that Paul tells Timothy to not neglect the gift that God has given him. Just because Timothy is gifted doesn't mean that he can't improve, that he's arrived. He should grow in his gifts. He should grow in his leadership. He should grow in his example. He should grow in his devotion to scripture. This passage is is extremely life-giving to me because of a very embarrassing story, and I, I feel like I'm kind of Bearing my soul to you this morning. This isn't normally how it goes, but this passage is uh, addressed very personally to me. So um, I'll share an embarrassing story with you as long as you don't tell anyone about it. We're not going to put this part online, by the way. All right. So it was uh, my senior year of college. 
Uh, I went to Northwestern in Orange City, a Christian school, and my senior year I had a chance to speak uh, at, at chapel in front of everyone uh, in the school, or at least those that got out of bed and decided to go to chapel. And I give this sermon, and you know, it's a whopping long sermon, 10 minutes long, and you say, what happened to Jordan? Why can't he do that anymore? I give this sermon, and I feel really good about it. It's uh, the first time that I spoke before the chapel, before the school at Northwestern. I felt really good about it, felt encouraged, and uh, later that day, having a conversation with a staff member at Northwestern, and uh, we, we actually, uh, the, the subject comes up of, of my chapel sermon, and he says to me, Jordan, I have to say, that chapel talk was the best one that we've had all semester. You should respond with gratitude to a comment like that. Respond with humility, awe. Just feel good that God has used you in a way that is that memorable to someone. That's not how I felt. His words, which I'm sure he meant to be encouraging to me, were extremely discouraging to me. You know why? This this is the embarrassing part. It's because... (laughs) I don't even want to say it. Um, It's because... He said, this is the best chapel talk that we've heard all semester and not the best chapel talk I've ever heard in my life. I told my girlfriend at the time, you might know her, her name's Crystal. I told her that night about this experience and she rightly almost punched me. Maybe she did. I deserved it. And she may not have realized it, When she called me out in that moment, she was essentially saying the exact same thing that Paul is saying to Timothy here. Do not have expectations that are higher than God's expectations for you. If you think that every single time that you get up in front of people and it has to be the best sermon that they have ever heard in their entire lives, you are going to be sorely disappointed and you are going to last in ministry for like a month. Paul is telling Timothy the exact same thing here. Pastors don't have to be perfect. There is room for progress. In fact, they are called to progress in their faith. If they are not improving, if they are not growing, then that is a problem. God is a gracious God, and that extends to those who are in pastoral ministry as well. There's absolutely a place for hard work. The words here, immerse yourself in these things, in them, literally means exist in these things. Breathe them in. Breathe them out. Every fiber of your being should be a part of these things. Pastoral ministry is hard work. The pastor should be one of the hardest working people in the congregation. They should model what it looks like to throw off any sort of distraction in their life to know Jesus more. But progress takes a lot longer than we often like to admit. Moses was 80 before God called him. David was 40 before he became king. Paul existed for 13 years as a Christian, serving in obscurity before he went on his first missionary journey. 
There is room for progress in the Christian life. And Paul closes with a summary statement in verse 16. He says this, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul sums up everything he said by telling Timothy to watch his life, to watch his ministry, to make sure that what he does and says as a pastor on Sunday mornings in front of people lines up with his own personal life, that he should be a paragon of faithful consistency to the church. There should be no area of Timothy's life, no area of Timothy's doctrine that doesn't line up with God's desire for Christian leadership, for Christian discipleship. The responsibilities for pastoral ministry are unbelievably high. But then we get to the end of verse 16. You see, the responsibilities of pastoral ministry are unbelievably high, and yet the reward is unbelievably great as well. I read actually this morning, Beth Moore um, serves in ministry, and and the way she just put this was, was so powerful and so beautiful. She said, ministry is far harder than I ever expected. And Jesus is far greater than I ever imagined. That's how Paul ends this section here. He says, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. What Paul is not saying is that if Timothy is faithful enough, then he will save people. Only Jesus saves people. What he is saying is that if Timothy models faithful consistency in his own life, then God will use him to bring salvation to others. And that same thing can be true for you as well. If you model faithful consistency in your life, God can use you to bring salvation to others. That you could one day stand before the throne of God and someone comes up to you and says, I am here because you shared the gospel. I am here because you discipled this person who shared the gospel. Paul ends with an incredible place of motivation, not just for pastors, but for every single one of us. And it is my prayer that this passage is true of me. It is my prayer that it is true, honestly, of all of us, that we would be faithfully consistent in our lives. It is a great privilege to be a pastor. But more than that, it's a great privilege to be your pastor. Paul sums this up. First Thessalonians. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? I get so much joy from serving in this role. And I don't want to turn this into a love letter from me to the church, but I already have, so why not just go with it? Thank you. It is a great privilege to be your pastor. And I'm so thankful. Well, thank you.
Thanks. Thank you. I have another date that I have to write down now. <laughs> you may be seated. Um, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, there's no real good way to tra- transition here from an application uh, into what we're doing next. So let's just pray. Thank God for his goodness to our church, uh, to, to each and every one of us. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And we thank you for your presence among us your faithfulness to us, and how you continue to walk with us and go before us. We look back knowing that you are good, and we move forward knowing that you will continue to be good to us. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.